0: Hi, everyone. Welcome. It's great to see you all. And uh, as Emily said, we're in a series, coming to the end of a series actually on joy. Um, And last week we looked at the joy of the harvest, uh, if you were here. And Henry and I uh, shared about some of the great things that have happened through the ministry uh, of our church over many years now. Um, and shared some of our vision for the future. Uh, If you weren't here, you didn't get one of these booklets, there are some on the table at the back, right, which just outlines really what we're doing and our vision for the days ahead. Uh, But the fruits that we've seen locally, regionally, and even globally um, really has been uh, down to the grace of God really in our our church. The hundreds of if not thousands of lives that have been touched and changed forever and i don't think that's an exaggeration um it's all because of the grace of god and i don't think uh actually that that's something that as i say is an exaggeration but it is something we should be rejoicing in uh, we rejoice we hear stories like Laurie's last week of how her life has been totally changed has circumstances totally changed since she encountered christ Uh, in our church community. Um, But what we've got to recognize is one of the things that enables that to happen is the generosity of our members. So this week's message is called The Joy of Giving, all right? So the joy of the harvest, but that is facilitated by joyful giving. That's what we're going to be uh, looking at uh, this morning. Uh, One of the reasons why the church has been such a blessing to many is because of our giving. When we give to the church, God uses that to advance His kingdom and to get the good news of Jesus out into our community and around the world. Uh, For example, there are many people here on the seacoast who have found themselves in crisis situations, uh, maybe without shelter or overwhelmed by uh, difficult circumstances, and they were able to find help and encounter the love of Christ through our church. Uh, There are other people who have felt completely alone and hopeless in life, but who have found friendship and hope in our church community. And because you gave, you are a part of that. You played a part in that. Uh, We heard some of the stories last week of people like Kelly in Brooklyn, Uh, who had gone through such a dark time in her life that she doubted that God even existed until she encountered him in our new church community in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. And it's because our church exists, you see, and is committed to starting new churches elsewhere that more and more people are finding new life in Jesus, people that we may never meet this side of eternity, including many people in Turkey, right now uh, through our churches there uh, who have been turning from islam to christ and because you gave you played a part in that you're a part of that right it's our giving that's enabled that to happen and we won't get to hear all the stories right that that are taking place and we've heard some amazing ones from nepal Uh, i was with madan last week and he'll be with us actually next sunday Uh, But Sam and Marlene were there with him recently uh, in Nepal and they were training ordinary believers to go into the villages to share the stories of Jesus, to do what Jesus did, to heal the sick, preach the good news. And you can be sure that right now that's what's going on, right? We know that uh, there are people now who are hearing the good news of of Jesus, who are being healed. New churches are being started there. Uh, We know it's happening, right? Because the little we know, we we see that is what God is doing. And that's just the tip of the iceberg uh, for what is happening out there. So when you give, you play a part in that. Um, And because God takes your gift, he uses it uh, in ways that we can't even imagine. So I just want to start by just thanking uh, everyone for your generosity in years past uh up to the present day that has enabled so much of that to happen to get the gospel out into our community and around the world to see so many lives touched and changed It's through the generosity of our members we are a generous church here i thank god for that i really do i thank god for the generosity of this church Uh, Shane is going to be in Mumbai at the end of the month uh, to revisit where Carla was uh, just over a year ago. Our generosity is helping uh, a brothel there where there's uh, prostitutes who have been trafficked, many from Nepal to Mumbai, and there is a church community started there with a a wonderful young couple who we are helping to support in their ministry. He'll be taking some video footage, bring it back to us, and let us know what's happening. It's the generosity of our members that's enabling that kind of thing to happen, not just in our own communities, but around the world. Praise God. Amen? Um, So, what we heard last week is that God has so much more for us to do. Well, we're thankful for all that's taking place. God has so much. There is a huge harvest for us to reap. And to see that happening, we really have to multiply what we have here. We can't just fill this building to capacity and then just plateau and stop there. Right? If we're going to continue to do all that God has for us, we need more laborers for the harvest. So if we're going to reap that harvest that God has for us, we really have to multiply ourselves. That means multiplying churches, multiplying leadership, multiplying ministries, multiplying gifting, and so on. But to accomplish that, it's going to need continued generosity uh, in our giving. In fact, just to take the first step and to start a new location, we have to see our giving increase by 15%, which is around $60,000. But listen, I don't want us to focus on the numbers, all right? Uh, I don't want us to focus on how much um, or anything like that because here's my conviction. Here's my conviction. If everyone gave generously, using a tithe as the biblical benchmark, I truly believe we will have more than enough to do all that God is calling us to do. When Jesus and the disciples were faced with feeding a multitude of hungry people, a little boy whose name we don't even know happily gave them his five loaves and two fishes. Uh, I'm assuming he did it happily. Because uh, I can't imagine the disciples snatching it off of him and leaving a boy crying there, right? <laughs> I'm assuming he gave it freely, happily. And we're told that, you know, Jesus, he took it, he blessed it. Uh, he gave it out, miraculously multiplied it to feed over 5,000 people. And they had more than they needed because there was baskets of bread left over. And, and so I truly believe that if we were willing to happily give what we have to Jesus, not only would we have all of our own needs supplied, but Jesus would multiply that to feed the world. Right? We'd have more than enough to do all that God has called us to do. I truly believe that. But I'm also convinced of this. That will only happen if we're able to give not just willingly, but joyfully. When we come to a place where it really is our joy to give, where we're not giving dutifully, reluctantly, or even mechanically, but happily, cheerfully, joyfully, then not only will we give generously, but actually I believe God will bless us abundantly. At least that's the principle I see in Scripture. And I want us to see this together, okay? It's important that we all have our own conviction about this because this is not something that can be commanded, right? This is something you have to have your own conviction about to see why that is and how that is in Scripture. So I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 8 uh, and then a little later from chapter 9. Uh, But Paul is writing here to the church in Corinth in the southern part of Greece, and he's asking them to contribute to a benevolence offering that he is collecting to provide relief to the suffering Christians in Jerusalem that have been affected by a famine. And he starts by mentioning the churches in Macedonia, which was in the northern part of Greece, where he had already taken up an offering. And he uses their example to inspire the Corinthians to give. So um, let's imagine we're now receiving this letter, okay, and see what we can learn uh, about giving here. Let's read together from verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 8. Paul writes, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part for they gave according to their means as i can testify and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the privilege of taking part in the relief of the saints and this not as we expected but they gave themselves first to the lord and then by the will of god to us and accordingly We urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command. I'm not commanding you to do this, he says, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know, don't you, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And Father, I just pray, uh, Lord, that you would speak to us from this passage today. I want to pray, Lord, that you would lead us into all the good that you have intended for us, Lord the blessing, Lord, that you intend for us so that it might continue to overflow into the lives of others. Because you have blessed us, Lord, that we might be a blessing. And may we enter into the good of that, we pray, for the sake of others around the world. We ask it for your glory. Amen. Amen. Now, let me just start by making um, a couple of observations from this passage. Uh, In that first uh, part, back to verse 1 there, Paul makes it clear there that the generosity of the Macedonian churches was a work of God's grace. You see that? And I just want to comment that what we have already seen, the generosity of our church, has been a work of His grace. It's a grace working through us uh, to bless others. It's nothing that we can boast in. It's not because of how great we are, but how great God is, and all glory goes to him. Um, So if you or I have been enabled to contribute anything in any way to what God has done over the years through this church, it's only by the grace of God. And it's only by his grace that we will reap the harvest that he has for us in the coming years. So if God calls you to lay down your career... To plant a church in another city as some have done from here or to leave your country to serve his purpose in another part of the world or to give large sums of money to finance all of that it won't be a great sacrifice because christ has already paid the great cost with his own life on the on the cross right he's already made the sacrifice on our behalf and so it's by the grace of god that we now get to participate in all that he's doing and that we get to share the blessing of God with those who need him, all right? I'll come back to that again in a minute. Secondly, we see there in verse two, the Macedonian churches clearly had troubles of their own, didn't they, right? They were being afflicted, it says, probably due to persecution. They were experiencing extreme poverty, Paul says, and yet they gave generously in spite of their poverty, which often is the case, by the way, Um, all the studies show that the wealthier people are, the smaller the percentage of money they give away to help others. Do you know that? So, for example, when you look at giving across the United States, right? what do you think is the most generous state in the United States proportional to income? Mississippi. The poorest state. Is the most generous state in proportion to income but in the case of the macedonians they weren't just generous it was a radical generosity that they demonstrated and i say radical because paul says that even though they were experiencing extreme poverty in verse three it says he says they gave beyond their means more than they could afford in other words they took a risk with their giving for the sake of others and not only that But in verse four, he then says that they pleaded with him for the privilege of participating in this offering. Now that means Paul must have said to them, please don't give. Right? You've got troubles of your own. Please, you do not need to give. And they must have said to Paul, No, please let us give. We want to give, right? We want to participate. Um, in this offering, it's our privilege. Now, why was that? What caused them to give so generously at cost to themselves? Because they certainly weren't coerced, they weren't pressurized, right? They weren't guilted into giving. Paul says there in verse three, it was of their own accord, it was their own free will. More than that, he says in the previous verse that their generosity was from the overflow of their joy. It was the abundance of their joy that overflowed, he says, in this wealth of generosity. It was their joy to give as an expression of their love. It was like they were saying, please, please let us give, right? Our joy won't be complete until it overflows to meet the needs of others. I think that must have made Paul very happy because Paul was like a father uh, to these churches. And if you're a parent here today... Isn't that really what you want for your own children, right? We want them to make good decisions, don't we? Good choices on their own accord, of their own free will. Not just because we told them to do something, right? In fact, you should never say to a child, just do it. Why, Dad? Because I told you so, right? That's not helpful. Maybe at a very young age, right, you want them to trust that you know what's best for them, Uh, but they need to know why. Otherwise, they'll get to an age where maybe they've been complying to your will, but they'll get to that age when they can just rebel or leave home, and then they'll just do whatever they want. The aim of parenting is not to try and get kids to do what you say, but to help shape their hearts. And for there to be a heart change, they have to know why right? If they can understand why, hopefully they'll want to do what you say. Maybe they'll be happy to do what you say rather than they feel they have to do it, right? Because they understand why. Are you with me? Yep. In the same way, God, as our Father, wants us to give, right? He wants us to be generous and to show our love for Him and for others through our giving. He wants our obedience because he does know what's good for us, what's best for us, but he is not looking for us to give dutifully, right? It has to come from the heart. The only way we can give is is willingly and joyfully, right? That it should be our desire, our delight, our joy to give. Now, if that's the case, if like the Macedonians, our giving is to come from the overflow of our joy, then clearly we need to understand why, don't we? Why is that? Why were the Macedonians so joyful? Where did this abundance of joy come from that caused them to overflow in this wealth of generosity? Certainly didn't come from the things that we tend to associate with joy, did it? Like having money and security. You know, so many of us seek our satisfaction in those things. And the reason why we so often find joy to be elusive is because we're constantly worried about not having enough money or not being safe. Supposing I get the coronavirus, you know, or suppose you have a heart attack like Dick, Dick did a couple of weeks ago. What if the stock market crashes? What if I lose my job and can't pay rent? Right? What if the the stores run out of toilet paper and hand sanitizer you know what if and so we tend to cling all the more tightly to our lives and our possessions we're much less likely to give of ourselves and of our money and uh, instead of thinking of others we become self-absorbed unlike the macedonians the macedonians joy was not rooted in their circumstances they were going through a severe trial, right? Their lives were in danger and they are experiencing extreme poverty. They had no money. So why then were they so joyful? Well, it comes back to that first observation we made, right, about the Macedonians giving that it was by the grace of God. And Paul makes that clear. He goes on to make that clear in verses 7 to 9. Let's have that next uh part of the passage up there where he encourages the corinthians to follow their example he says and to excel in this act of grace he calls it an act of grace the grace of giving and he says to them i'm not commanding you to do this it's going to come from the heart it's going to come from a genuine love he's saying And then he makes it clear that where that joyful expression of love comes from, because he says in verse 9, let's read it together, the last verse there, he says, For you know, right, it's because you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the why. It's because you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's where their joy was rooted, right? That was the well they were drawing from that was overflowing in rich generosity. It was their experience of God's grace. It was, you know, Christ exchanged his uh, riches for poverty, Paul says. Um, He's not talking there about material riches, but spiritual riches, Right? the riches of dwelling at the right hand of God in the beauty and the glory of heaven, knowing unimaginable joy in the presence of His Father, the right hand of His Father, in, you know, knowing uh, the wonders of His love, as it says in Psalm 1611, where it says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And Jesus left all of that to become impoverished, born into material poverty, but also into the spiritual poverty of a dark and broken world, where he would know pain and suffering, where he would know what it is to carry our sorrows, where he would pay the penalty for all of our sin by being rejected and forsaken and crucified. And why did he do that? Why did he willingly joyfully exchanged the riches of heaven for the poverty of this fallen world. What he says, doesn't he? For your sake. It's for our sake. It's for your sake he became poor. That's why he did it. It's for our sake, so that by his poverty we might become rich. Right? He gave up everything, even his own life, so that we might receive the riches of heaven. He came down so that we might be raised up with him, to be seated with him at the right hand of the Father, in whose presence is fullness of joy, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And there's nothing that you or I have done to deserve that. It's not something we earned. It's not anything we deserved. In fact, the Bible says we deserve judgment and death. And yet, because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. By His grace, His undeserved, unmerited favor. It's because of His grace that Dick Saul, who's here in the 9 a.m. service, a couple of weeks ago, could be sitting on his hotel bed in Paris, having a heart attack, waiting for emergency services to arrive, and feel no fear. That was his testimony. Because he knew that nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? If you've experienced the grace of God, like Dick, right, you will know you belong to him now. And he is never, ever going to let you go. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 1, says, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So not only has God given us forgiveness, He's given us his own spirit to live in us who guarantees our inheritance in heaven until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory hallelujah forgiveness fellowship with god eternal inheritance in heaven these are the riches of his grace that is lavished upon us and paul is encouraging the corinthians to follow the example of the Macedonians here and overflow in joyful generosity. And the reason he gives is because you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, don't you? I want to ask you this morning, do you know, do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? All that he's done for us, all that he's given us, all that is ours because of Jesus. You see, if we are not full of joy in the light of all of that, then we have not fully experienced or understood the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what we need is the gospel of grace. And I pray that for every one of us. Because uh, I think you know, we can experience this and understand this in increasing measures. I pray, therefore, by the Spirit, That the gospel of grace would break into our hearts into our hearts and lives uh, that we might truly know uh, his grace um, that we might understand it that we might know we are the most secure people on the planet because of the grace of jesus doesn't matter what trouble or persecution or virus might come to us right Because we know neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or anything in the future, nor anything in all of creation can ever separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Even if everything was taken from us and we had to live in extreme material poverty, we'd still be the richest people on earth. Because we have an inheritance in heaven and life is just a breath. It's just a breath. But we have the riches and the glory of heaven to look forward to and to enjoy for all eternity. And that's why the Macedonians were so full of joy, because they understood the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In spite of their circumstances, It was why they could overflow in this wealth of generosity, giving more than they could afford, because they wanted others to experience God's grace and to share in their joy. It wasn't even just for the believers there in Jerusalem. Uh, It was also for the many others who had not heard yet the good news of Jesus, because we know that the Philippians, who were one of those Macedonian churches, they gave regularly and they gave generously to the Apostle Paul and his ministry. In fact, Paul wrote to them, in Philippians 4, thanking them for their generosity. This is what he says in verse 17. He thanks them. He says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And then he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. Hallelujah. He, he says something very similar in 2 Corinthians 9, where he continues this appeal to the Corinthians. And he uses the imagery of a harvest. Let's read this together. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 5. He says, remember this. This is from the New Living Translation. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. So kind of bearing this in mind, he's saying, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. But just don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure because God loves a person who gives cheerfully, joyfully, happily. And then, God will generously provide all you need so that you'll have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Can you see it? God will provide all that we need and more so that we can continue to be generous. Next month, Easter month, April, we're going to be taking up our special missions offering. We have two special offerings each year. One is for benevolence at Christmas time. We had an amazing offering in this church uh, to benefit the needy uh, around us. I mean, the church gave $25,000 at Christmas. Uh, That was on top of regular giving. And uh, again, thank you, everyone, for your generosity that is touching the lives of others. Uh, Those who are in recovery, those who are in crisis situations, it's helping a lot of people, all right? So praise God for that. Uh, But every Easter, we have a missions offering as well because we remember that's when Jesus came to seek and to save uh, the lost. So, through the month of April, we're going to have two baskets on the tables at the front. One will be for regular givering, giving, one will be for the special offering, uh, like the one that Paul asked the Corinthians to give to. Just to say this, though, please don't give to the special offering in place of your regular giving, all right? Whatever you give to the special offering should be in addition, because otherwise, we'll just be robbing Peter to pay Paul, so to speak, all right? All um, right. Whatever you give to the special offering will go to our mission activity. And as Paul goes on to say, actually, in his letter to the Corinthians, it will result in an overflow of thanksgiving from all of those who will benefit from our generosity. Um, People like Laurie, as we heard last week, people like Kerry, the many Turks, Nepalis who are coming to faith, who as a result of our generosity will come to experience God's grace and share in our joy so please can i encourage you to consider what i've been sharing with you here this morning and as we decide in our hearts what to give please let it be done joyfully all right let it be the overflow of our joy amen and that doesn't just apply of course to our special offerings uh Everything I've been saying today applies to our regular giving as well. It applies to all of our giving, really. It should all be rooted in our understanding of God's grace and lead to joyful generosity that meets the needs of others. So I just want to close now just by answering a couple of questions that I often get asked, okay, because I know I'm going to get asked this, so let me deal with it now. I'll give you a couple of brief answers. First question is, does the New Testament teach tithing, which is the Old Testament practice of giving 10%? of your income to God? Secondly, should I give my whole tithe to the church? Right, right, two questions. I know you're dying to ask, so let me just quickly answer that, okay? Um, I believe tithing is a principle we see throughout Scripture, uh, we could, because we even see it in the Proverbs, which gives us wisdom for everyday life. It says in Proverbs 3.8, honor the Lord with your wealth. Proverbs 3.8, honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits the tithe of all your produce and then your barns will be filled with plenty now of course the beauty of tithing is that it is proportional you know i started tithing when i was a student when i really had no money but i gave 10 percent of the little i had what that meant was i was giving as much as the richest person in the church proportionally that church planted out four other churches within an hour's radius sent people all over the world I got to participate in that as much as the next person, right? That's the beauty of proportional giving. We can all play uh, our part. But as it says there in Proverbs, we do need to see tithing in terms of honoring God. That's really what it's about. As they did in the Old Testament, recognizing that all we have is from Him. Everything we have is from Him. It's all of His grace. The air we breathe the lives we live, it's all of His grace. Even the ability to earn an income is of His grace. Okay, it's all from Him. And I loved how PJ demonstrated this last year's celebration. You know, when he was growing up in Zimbabwe, uh, he didn't have a bank account, he got paid cash. And so when he got paid for his first job, and he was going to tithe for the first time, he got his, his wad of, uh, of bills there, dollar bills here. Right, and he counted it out. That will help us to see really what this is all about. So, all right, tithing, here we go. Right? One f- for me, two for me, three, four, five, six. I'm doing well. Seven, eight, nine for me, one for God. One for me, two for me, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine, oh, sorry, God. So, you know, that's, that puts into perspective, if you want, what God blesses us with, right, and what He asks us to give away to bless others. And yet people still say, but yeah, but do I need to tithe? Because it isn't explicitly taught in the New Testament, is it? And I would say to that, I agree. I agree. I don't see it being explicitly taught in the New Testament. But then I'll say this. Why do you think that is? In the Old Testament, believers gave a tithe in response to God's grace as commanded by the law. Do you think our response to God's grace should be less than or greater than that? In the light of all that Christ has done for us, You see, isn't our understanding of grace all the greater because of Jesus? And therefore, shouldn't our response cause us to be even more generous and not less? And surely the reason why it's not commanded in the New Testament and why Paul explicitly says, I'm not commanding you, right, is because this is something that has to be freely given as an overflow of our joy and as an expression of our love. Right, no one can command you to do that. And isn't that why, in the early church, no one counted anything as their own? It says they seemed happy to share their possessions, sell land, give away stuff to meet the needs of others. They didn't say, "Well, well I gave my ten percent." They were happy to give it away, all they had, if necessary, even to lay down their very lives for the sake of the gospel. Because they were following the example of Jesus, who did not tithe his life or his blood, but he gave it all for us. He gave up everything for us. Um, And that was the attitude, you see, of the Macedonians. And it's why this is not something that can be commanded of you and I. It has to be freely, joyfully given as a response to God's amazing grace. So I would say for the the Christian, a tithe is really just a guide. I think, personally, I think it's a minimum, which is why we have special offerings over and above our regular giving. And so if you um, want to honor God with your giving today and you're not already tithing, I just want to encourage you to start taking steps of faith towards that goal and see if God won't bless you with it, because I really believe He will. Second question is, should my tithe go to my local church? Shall I give it all to my local church? Again, this is not something that can be demanded, right? There is no clear biblical mandate on this. And I know there are many excellent organizations, right, doing great works around the world that we could be giving to. But the Bible says that it's through the church that God intends on making his wisdom known. That's his plan A. Right? It's through the church. The church, it's his people that are his missionaries on earth. And we all have a part, therefore, to play in that through local churches. It's our giving that enables that to happen. Uh, the other thing I would say is I've, I've, I've always given my tithe to my church because they're my family. Because church is family, right, that we're a part of. And also it's a body the bible says that we are members of right it's a body with its own set of needs and which nourishes me and so it would seem wise therefore that we give ourselves fully to the body that we're a part of at least certainly our tithe and then if you want you can give more here or you can give more elsewhere that's my opinion but as i said none of this can be demanded right No one's saying, you must do this, you have to do this. Um, And I certainly wouldn't want you to be giving reluctantly or because you're feeling coerced or guilted into it or under pressure because none of that pleases God. Right? Let's give because of our understanding of God's grace. And if you are in financial difficulty today, right, please talk to one of us about that. We're a family. That means we want to help one another, right? So let us help you, all right? Please talk to someone. But my prayer for us this morning then is not that we would give more. It's not that we would raise a certain amount. My prayer is that each one of us will come into a greater understanding of the riches of God's grace. Because if we're truly understanding, if we're truly enjoying God's grace. It will cause us to overflow then in rich generosity. And then not only will we have enough money to do all that God is calling us to do, but God will continue to bless us so that we can continue to be a blessing so that more and more people can be reached for his glory. Amen.